Welcome to I Spit on Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is a time once a month where I put down my bloody knitting needles and Kelly steps away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. Spooky season may be over, but that doesn't mean we can't get into some trouble. And instead of getting scared, we're getting sexy, perverse, and blasphemous with Nunsploitation. The movie out for discussion is Ken Russell's infamous The Devils from 1971. We will explore the history of Nunsploitation, the true events that inspired the film, and the ridiculous censorship that has plagued the Devils for 50 years. So pick your poison and listen on, if you dare. Jess. So it was your idea to do Nunsploitation for uh, the month of October. So why don't you start us off with explaining why we decided to do The Devils? So one of the reasons why I wanted to do The Devils or particularly wanted to like look at Nunsploitation is actually um, a subgenre of exploitation films that I've always been curious about. Um, being Roman Catholic in my background mm-hmm. and I always knew that uh, Nunsploitation and and women in prison films tended to go hand in hand or they're very much influenced each other. And surprisingly enough, when I was a younger kid, I accidentally happened to watch French women in prisons film. And <laughs> it, it opened my mind to uh, cinema being very sexy, mm-hmm. uh, also in a very exploitative manner at times, but also just intriguing and mm-hmm. taboo and daring. Mm-hmm. And I always like remember seeing that film and it reminding me, like, kind of like opening a doorway up for me to be like, oh, wow. Film can be transgressive. It's not just, you know, Disney movies and princesses and stuff like that. So I was always curious about nunsploitation, but I never could explore it because A, Roman Catholic background, it wasn't accessible to me. And over the last couple of years, with all the different streaming services that have come out, I've subscribed to a bunch of different cult ones. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of nunsploitation films, and there's been a lot of, like an opportunity for me to explore it. So when Kelly and I were thinking of an October theme. I was like, let's do nuns because I know (laughs) Kelly doesn't like nuns. They kind of scare her. But then we're like, okay, we'll find a really good scary nun movie. And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't really found a really good scary nun movie like that. Actually, like, you know, other than The Conjuring. Well, there's not many. There's not like, there's besides Valak in The Conjuring, and I never saw The Nun, there's not like really spooky nuns per se, which is what led us to, well, we want to talk about nuns, nunsploitation. That makes the most sense. I don't know. Some of this might scare people, but it's not like the spooky, scary horror stuff. It's, It's exploitation. It's different. It's transgressive. It's a different type of cinema that it tends to bleed into the horror genre because there are horror elements to yes. it. And we'll get into this as we talk more about nunsploitation. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've always been curious about it. And The Devils was a film that I knew had a huge inspiration into it. And mm-hmm. I stumbled across that film watching um, information about Ken Russell many years ago when I was doing my old podcast and mm-hmm. I was looking up research on The Lair of the White Worm. And they talked about this film and they showed clips to it. And I'm like, I need to see... Right this film, The Devils, mm-hmm. um, because not only because of the exploitation, but because of my own religious upbringing and background and the thoughts that I have as well. So right. yeah, that's why we chose it. Excellent. Okay. And we are just talking about The Devils, just one movie today. And so let's, uh, let's start talking about The Devils. The Devils Burn. An explosive film. Absolutely brilliant. ABC TV. Superbly frighteningly effective. Time Magazine. 
But of course I can prove nothing. This Mother Superior may be little more than a hysterical nun. Exactly. Mere conjecture. And what form does this incubus take? The Devils is not a film for everyone. Vanessa Redgrave, Oliver Reed, in Ken Russell's film of The Devils. So it's, I guess that's kind of your story, Jess, of how you yeah. heard about the devils, your thoughts and feelings about wanting to discover it and watch it. For myself, I mean, I've heard about this infamous movie for a long time, but never really took the time to sit with it. Also, this movie is historically very hard to find. Guess very what? Hard. The only place that we could find this movie was on f.movies.com, folks. You can buy it on eBay or you can find, but like... As we'll get into it, there's two different prints, and one's a total trash fire, and then, well, no, it's not a total trash fire. It's not the artist's original intention or no. vision. Yeah. And yeah. the second one is closer to the to the director yes. Ken Russell's vision, yes. but just still missing pieces. But like, yeah. and they're expensive. They're really yeah, expensive. Yeah, exactly. So expensive, hard to find. You definitely can't find the streaming anywhere. So if it's not easily accessible, it's usually lower on my list. So yeah, I was down to totally watch it finally because, I mean, I've seen... I haven't seen scenes from it. I just, I've seen movie stills of it. I was like, this movie looks beautiful and I can't wait to check it out. So Jess, you, I very rarely see you get so excited about a movie (laughs) and all over social media. This movie is fucking brilliant. And you were so excited about it and very much, I'm going to assume, in love with this movie. So why don't you start us off by telling the folks at home why? Why I loved it. Well, like you were saying already, you already subscribed to it. The cinematography, the set design, everything about this film is just gorgeous and just speaks like theater, production, but like at the same time too, the absurdity of it all, like you're trying, they're trying to make it as real as possible to, you know, uh, like 16th century France, but at the same time too, though, really amping up the modern takes of it. So Mm -hmm. like it can really make this film very timeless. Like Mm -hmm. I love that it's inspired by historical accounts. Obviously things have been, obviously in the film, things were changed a bit to amp up some of the absurd elements Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. what is happening. But I love that there's this piece of history that we're watching as well, but it's Mm -hmm. a commentary on that history and what those actions really represented the music, the characterization, because, like, there was even points in, like, the costuming. I really enjoyed Father Bear's costuming. He was the exorcist. He mm-hmm. comes in, he looks like a fucking rock star. And I'm like, yeah. yes, that is how those witch hunters or these exorcists would see themselves. Like, you yeah. know, like, I'm coming to fight evil. And you're like, you yeah. look so absurd. Mm-hmm. But you're this rock star. They have this giant ego. And so it's just, there's just, I could go on. I just love this film. And it was such a stabbing satire of and commentary on the church and state like marriage Mm -hmm. and how power corrupts Mm -hmm. and how women are used by the system and it just like one thing after the next and I was just literally like I just was laughing at moments of the absurdity of it all well, this is definitely, I would say, a Jess film. Absolutely. I was not surprised that after I watched it that you loved it so much. There's lots to enjoy about this movie. Again, yes, for me, the premise, the performances. Okay, Oliver Reed. Okay, just like literally chewing every scene that he is in. 
Mwah, mwah, chef's kiss. Yeah. Me too. The costume, cinematography, the set design, the black and white aesthetic that is throughout this movie as well. You know, the townspeople wearing masks a lot of the times. It lent itself to be like this surrealist fantasy, which was really interesting to me, especially with, you're right, the absurdity of it. Just like some of the scenes that were very over the top, yet also very grounded and, and really intense and epic and scary at the same time. Even having our protagonist is Jean having this unfortunate like quote humpback making her kind of like lean to the left a little bit this made again made everything seem off which was really really interesting to me so yeah there's really nothing to not like about this movie like this is quote film this is cinema you know (laughs) this is transgressive cinema it's bold it's scandalous and it's challenging for you to watch And I love that. I love these types of movies. I, throughout this month, I was able to watch a handful of them, but I found myself leaning towards the more, quote, high-end, well-made movies a little bit more than the, like, more lower budget, more lurid, like, sleazy ones for some reason. I was like, I love these, like, artful, interesting, non-sploitation movies. It was just uh, really, I was surprised, I was so surprised to myself, but, uh, Yeah, it was. Did I I love The Devils? I'm definitely not as excited as you are, um, but I did really enjoy it. I did really enjoy the movie. I was glad to have watched it. Did you have any dislikes? My only dislikes with this film is what's been cut from it, right? So we were Mm -hmm. fortunate enough to be able to see the copy that has the infamous Rape of Christ scene, like, inserted into it. And you can tell when it's been inserted because of the the quality of the film changes. But Mm -hmm. just knowing that there is a full vision out there that mm-hmm. is that we have that we are missing to see cuz like already so much of this film just sits so well together that i don't i can't imagine what was so cut what else was cut that would have changed or even enhance the messaging from this film. Mm-hmm. It's always that one. It's always that thing, and be like, but I know that there's something else to this that I could see. I could watch that yeah. the censorships, yeah. the censors had to have it removed just to make it acceptable. I would say probably the the runtime a little bit because I don't <laughs> like long movies, dude. So it's just how it is. Two hours or more is very challenging for me. But I was relatively captivated through the whole runtime, yeah. so it was fine. It uh, yeah, that's pretty much that. So what is none? Exploitation. It was also a subgenre of horror that an exploitation cinema that I was really intrigued by. Yes, nuns give me kind of the Wiggins. It's the celibacy, the solitude. I love the solitude, but this combination <laughs> of devoting yourself to God, celibacy, isolation, and that's all you do with your life is very strange to me. And they're just so oddly peaceful and quiet. It's just kind of unnerving to be around. So non-exploitation is so interesting to me, but what is it? You know, each subgenre is going to have their tropes, their formats, just like with anything. Slashers, haunted house movies, obviously. But non-exploitation... A lot of these films typically involve Christian nuns who live in convents and most often during Middle Ages. The main conflict of the story is usually of a religious or sexual nature, like religious oppression, sexual repression, again, due to living in these convents, the celibacy being, quote, brides of Christ. The mother superior is usually our cruel and corrupt warden-like character, maybe seducing our other nuns. There's some problematic elements, too, when you watch some of these movies. 
movies, um, but they're very interesting. And generally, that's kind of what you'll see in a lot of these movies. So if you watch a bunch of them like we did during the month, there's, it, again, it does get a little repetitive. Yeah, yeah. Which made me wanting to seek out more than what I watched a little bit challenging personally. I don't know how you felt about yeah. that. I will agree. Like, I had like a list of different Nunsploitation yes. films that I yeah. wanted to watch. And I knew that a bunch of them were on the different uh, streaming yeah. services um, that I have, but I ended up not watching as many as I wanted to watch because, like you said, they get repetitive. Like, you can literally tell the beats of where the film's going to go based yeah. upon, like you said, like you have, there's these. Yeah. There's a lot of very same themes. There's a lot of same characters. You've got a young, naive nun. You've got an older nun who's, like, angry and sexually for her years of sexual presence. You've got, <laughs> yeah. like, this young man who makes him, finds his way into the covenant, mm-hmm. coven, and then there's, like, some kind of, like, political drama involved in it. There's some kind of yeah. aristocratic nun. Like, there's a lot of the same themes. Exactly. So, it's interesting, but... It's been around for a long time, and I really wish I would have... There's some that uh, that I wanted to see from the 60s that I was not able to. Again, based on the availability, some of these movies are just hard to find or on streaming services I don't have that I didn't necessarily want to subscribe to again and pay for it. But um, yeah, they've been around since the 60s. So the 1960s was a time of change for cinema. This was the sexual revolution. People, you know, not even films, but also in society, were exploring gender, sexuality, uh, sexual behavior. And this really came about when, in 1968, the MPSS abolished the production code and the ability to release X-rated and uncensored films were allowed to happen into the American market. This was a big deal in the 1960s. As well, church had the Second Vatican happen, so this was a period of modernization in the church where they changed things from Latin in the masses to English language, more freedom of expression. So filmmakers started to toy more with more religious subject matters in their films um, because the government were no longer able to censor the films and the church couldn't really interfere other than making public denouncements. So while this is mm. all happening in the late 60s, you get the 1970s. And this is where nunsploitation, this really rarely and kind of hidden exploitation cycle um, Mm -hmm. existed. And it didn't get taken seriously a lot because because people have a hard time looking past the sex and the nudity. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of really interesting themes that come up in these films. Mm -hmm. But to really kick it off will be the film by Ken Russell, The Notorious The Devils in 1971. This films is what contained many of the elements that would characterize the subgenre. A lot of the films that would come later, I would argue, don't always hold the same strong messaging of The Devils. Like, The Devils is a really mm-hmm. political film. But I also feel like the other non-exploitation films, while they're political, they're talking about more about things, more about sexuality and looking at ideas of repression and almost kind of making fun of demonic possession. But I, I feel like the films that came later on were not as impactful. And that is because the economy. So I love the Italians. I love the Italian film industry in the 1970s because... (laughs) Me too. I also love the Italians. Man, the Italian movies. So good. Right? (laughs) Exactly, right? Yeah. So this is like the 1970s where we get the spaghetti westerns, we get the giallos. Well, we also get an explosion in exploitation. no pun intended, Mm -hmm. Um, to combat (laughs) the rise of television (laughs) and the entertainment. They needed to make trashy and sexy films quickly that would guarantee high and mediocre profits. And this is where yep. nuns are going to come in. Who else is going to, like, where, <laughs> where are people going to make, spend their money and to see sexy adult films? They're going to watch nuns because 
interesting enough, a lot of these films came out from heavily Catholic countries such as Italy, Spain, and Mexico. And funny enough, we get nunsploitation films coming out of Japan, but that was more for them to be able to make fun of Christianity in a way that wasn't as offensive because Christians were making these films as well. <laughs> Especially Italian nunsploitation, because there's so many of those. But overall, nunsploitation, I don't hear much about. Like, people don't talk about this subgenre so much. I feel like it's really ignored. It's overlooked, marginalized. Um, but they are really interesting, generally speaking. You're right. Some of them, they vary in quality, as every subgenre is going to. You know, some are going to be more captivating and compelling than others. But they're talking about conflicts of order, Disorder, again, the masculine versus the feminine, church versus state, or even against the individual, men versus women, power dynamics, politics. I didn't realize going into this that these movies would could be so politically charged. I also didn't necessarily realize that it was going to have criticism against the church. I mean, I hadn't learned I didn't know that much about this this subgenre. So I was really interested to, to see more of these movies, but also more of these themes that are reoccurring throughout them. And there's some, some people that call them very male gazy, male fantasies, but like that's just one reading. But then there's another reading, which is really interesting. I'm not necessarily sure where I fall into it specifically, probably based on the movie, but maybe some feminist consciousness raising, rejection of our, you know, our subordinate roles, because it's so many of these nuns are going against yeah. this oppression, the sexual repression, lacking power, wanting power. And we definitely see this in The Devils, but you find they play a lot with lesbianism, homosexuality in these movies. Is it because there's a bunch of women all secluded and celibate together? Maybe. Or it's just another form of sexual repression. We know that so, like, even in The Devil, so many of those women were not there because they wanted to be there. They were mm -hmm. there because they were, quote, ugly. They were not marriage material. They didn't have enough money to have land. So they are really unworthy. So let's just go to a convent and be a nun because that's all that's left for you, which is awful. So no wonder in so many of these movies, eventually they just want to rebel, which I found that really, really interesting interesting and such a great aspect to these movies. Yeah, for sure. And like you were saying earlier about how people talk, like they talk about how like male gazy these films can look because often it's through this gaze of invading a woman's privacy, right? When you're looking yeah. to the nun's con uh, convent, it's their privacy, their home. So there's a sense of Eurorism in there. And then of course, with yeah. these films, there's always a scandal. There's always like yes. somehow some yeah. kind of murderous plot, some mother superior is trying to corrupt some younger nun or, you know, some duke is trying to gain power or some fanaticism yeah. is coming into it. However, what I really thought was really interesting with these films is that when they do depict sexual expression, it's like almost like in a healthy and natural way and that it's like almost showing that yes. uh, sex is an important part of a person's emotional well-being. So when you force these desires to be suppressed and you condemn them and you try to control them, mm -hmm. then of course you're going to get a sense of neuroses and self-loathing that comes from these women. We see this in The Devils and we see this in all these non-films. That's where they yeah. always come to a point where they've repressed themselves so much to the point that it just comes out and this lecherous behavior and the only way that the church can explain why these um, mentally ill women 
are acting in such a way is almost demonic possession mm, because we have yes, to come in yeah. and we need to be the heroes and of course if we are the heroes and saving these nuns then we are we can um, establish our authority even more because we yeah. are the moral protectors of these women yeah. but at the same time too they're like but you're the ones who are enforcing these ridiculous laws yeah. and conditions on women to live a very unnatural and very isolated and very repressed life so of course yeah. these these self-loathing neuroses would start developing over time but it's like they said these films also like address the historical treatment of women and sexuality and that of the human spirit always just trying to break people yeah right I'll chime in for a moment there to shout out an earlier episode of the podcast because you hit the nail on the head we were talking about control and suppression we have a whole episode called exercising the feminine and it's about the exact thing demonic possession female empowerment, control, patriarchal control, church control, which is essentially patriarchal control. So we have a nice big fat episode all about that. If folks, that theme really gets you going and gets you very excited. So check that one out. And I think also what makes people overlook these movies is that, yes, they, like I said, they can be very lurid, full of nudity and sex and violence and sleazy, low budget, maybe a bit amateur. But then you come out with The Devil's Black Narcissists. There's also an early Polish film that uh, from 1961 called The Mother Joan of the Angels, which I believe is on Mubi that you can watch um, if you do have Mubi or want to grab that. It's black and white. It looks stunning. It's also the other non-exploitation movie that's based on the Ludan possession story. So they can just be incredibly stunning pieces of art. And I find, again, I found that so fascinating and seeing myself lean towards these beautiful, like, works of art but also this like striking commentary at the same time was again chef's kiss really fascinating you kind of got both things you've got really great stunning cinematography performances and then you get our more more leaning into the non-exploitation the exploitation elements of it so I just find this again really really interesting and again the devil's is going into that more like quote highbrow high yeah. art very artistic form of non-exploitation which I didn't realize I guess you could have but it's still considered it like you said the, uh, the devil's really kind of paved the way for the format and everything of non-exploitation which movies did you end up uh, getting to watch in the last month or so Jess any hits or misses so the movies I watched was obviously the devil's um, killer nun which is always one that I enjoy it's got that lesbian um liaison relationship between yeah, a nun yeah. who is actually murderous. Yeah. Um, I watched Images in a Convent and that was very sexual. Like, it is um, it was one of the films that were done by one of the early Italian directors mm-hmm. um, and it's a funny story because it was filmed at the same time as the story of the true Nana Minosa they used the same church and then one movie had the top and one movie had the bottom and they just like people back and forth Wow. Uh, yeah Italian cinema but it was very sexual like mm. at one point um, I watched two nuns use a wooden dildo and I was like hello oh <laughs> might not be the safest but mm-hmm. yeah that, exactly but and then yeah. yeah, and then the only and then so the true story of the Nana Minosa was one, and then I watched the sinful nuns of Saint Valentine, mm-hmm. and that one was 
okay. I found that one a little bit boring. Mm-hmm. It did not. It didn't ca- capture my interest as much. But how about you? What movies did you end up getting to watch? Uh, four other than The Devils, uh, Killer Nun. That one is very like that one's like the pinnacle. I feel like of what I expected from nunsploitation. You know, urges for sex and murder. The this like mother superior character can control herself, and she just bangs some random guy she met at a bar. Yes, nudity, beautiful women. <laughs> uh, sinful nuns. Of St. Valentine. I'm I'm with you. That one was a little bit lackluster. Other Hell, which was, I think, done from a very prominent uh Italian director, but it was like very grim, like low budget, kind of your typical story, but it was a lot grimmer. A lot of skulls, a lot of magic, and there was like different things going on and really cool score because it's it was just like felt very Italian. So I definitely recommend the other hell. And then Black Narcissus from 1947, actually by Michael Powell. It's on YouTube if folks want to watch it. Again, one of these like people have talked about that one as like really the OG of non-exploitation. OG, this this is 1947. Michael Powell also did Peeping Tom from 1960. Like beautiful, interesting movies. Um, this one really reminds, I like love, I love, I really, I don't know if I loved it, but like I really enjoy Black Nurses and the Devils. They were like a really wonderful pairing because the Black Narcissus was a little bit more like erotic, sensual, and flirty, less like overtly sexual, like the Devils mm-hmm. and other ones, but it was not lurid. It was in technicolor, like it was very beautiful, but it had a similar type of story, like a lot of our non-exploitation movies, but it was. It was beautiful, great performances. It was just really, really great. So I would highly recommend Black Narcissus. I'm glad to hear that's on YouTube because that was one I wanted to check out. It was on my list as well. So excellent. That's awesome. So some hits and some misses, but I felt like I kind of got a good idea of what non-exploitation is all about from going from 1947 up until the 70s. There's not many movies in the 80s to 90s to now. It's like like spattering of movies that could be thrown into non-exploitation, but again, kind of hard to find, but it really had its heyday in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, it was kind of a product of its time, right? You yeah. know, it's like sexual evolution and everyone gets to talk about sex and yeah. no one's been able to make fun of the Catholic Church for a while, so <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it with Let's nuns. do it. Yeah. But like, one of the things I will note in watching these films that did make me feel uncomfortable and came in power with these films is there's a lot of unconsensual stuff that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Among the nuns, to yes. the nuns, that was something that I was like, I would be watching the film and I'd like literally count down how many times being like, oh, and she starts making out with her in her sleep. Not consensual. I'm like, yeah, so. It can get surprisingly rapey. Absolutely. There's a lot of uh, sexual assault in these women that are out of control and, you know, hysterical and repressed. It does get a little inappropriate. Absolutely. Yes! I can see him! He's the most beautiful man in the world! Sister Agnes! Sister Agnes! Sister Agnes! Sister Agnes! Sister Agnes! Why have you left your devotions? They were watching Father Grandier. We wanted to see the funeral procession of Monsieur Saint-Marc, Reverend Mother. Satan is ever ready to seduce us with sensual delights. 
Let's move on to The Devils. And this movie is based on true events. So the it's based on a very, very popular case of possession in France. The events of Loudon actually happened in 1632 when Jean and a junior nun were each visited during the night by an apparition of a, quote, man of the cloth asking for help. Strange disturbances continued on from there. The nun started hearing voices, experiencing physical blows from different sources, fits of uncontrollable laughter, hallucinations. A lot of strange things started happening, not only to them, but to all the other nuns in the convent. And madness, religious mania kind of spread from there. The first exorcism started in October in 1632. And what is also true that we see in The Devils is they turned into public events, attracting thousands of onlookers to see what these exorcisms were all about. Yeah, and they did that for many years, these exorcisms. It's wild. Wild to me. Yeah, like literally to the point that they stopped doing these exorcisms even after Father Grandier was executed, and they only stopped when Cardinal Richelieu would no longer fund them anymore. And you're like, <laughs> that is fucked up. It is. Um, oh, yeah. Tell us about uh, good old Urbane Grandier. Yeah, so Father Urbane Grandier, he was... A very well-educated and wealthy parish priest who was not afraid to speak out um, against the abuses of the church, about the uses of ritual in the church. He was also had many affairs with women throughout Ludan. <laughs> he was not yes. ashamed. He was not. He was. He knew he was a man, and he did not. And he believed in his fellow man. And he was also very sympathetic to the Protestants during yeah. the time because. At the time of Loudon, this was happening during the religious wars. Um, the Catholics were going after the Huguenots and murdering them because they were the Protestants within the French regime. And Loudon was a special case because it was a fortified city where it had the Huguenots and Catholics living together peacefully. No fighting. Like, they were literally showing how, like, hey, we could have two different religions. We can live in peace and harmony with each other. And they had this great parish priest and Father Grandier who was supporting that. And also, like, you know, and speaking out against his own religion. And that was problematic because that is something you're not supposed to do. <laughs> <Back> <laughs> Particularly in the Catholic Church. You're yes. not supposed to be a threat or an enemy. And this is how we're, and this is a character that Oliver Reed plays in the film. And to top this all off, what ended up happening was that uh, Sister Jeanne, uh, she ended up turning around and had like a crush on Father Urbain because he was a very attractive man. Yeah. She was an unattractive woman in, in back in those standards then. She yeah. did have a humpback and she was and she had been sent off to the convent because she wasn't married off. Like you couldn't marry her off and she was often manipulated and she worked her way to becoming the mother superior of uh, the convent, the Ursuline convent that was established in 1626. Was was mostly a place of where you sent aristocratic daughters. Mm. Um, like Kelly said earlier, people you couldn't marry off. So they were aristocratic women. And what do aristocratic women do? They talk about men <laughs> and they gossip a lot. And Father Grandier was a very favorite topic among the convent. And she had a crush on him. Mm -hmm. She wanted him to be the nun's confessor. Yep. And the story was he declined the offer or he was not allowed to due to his reputation. He was a bit of a womanizer. They didn't want him being among all these nuns as their confessor. So, like, as Kelly was explaining, when they saw this unusual man uh, visit them, when they started to have these demonic possessions, they gave the image of Father Grandier. And that was because 
because the Catholic Church didn't like him. And here was an opportunity to be able to get rid of him. There was a lot of unusual politics around these exorcisms and around his trial. Anyone who spoke out against it was condemned. There was a court order on the pain of death forbidding anyone to debate or discuss any of the possessions. Like you couldn't even have a like a like a scientific debate about these women's symptoms, you could be condemned to death. And then when anyone protested the unfair treatment of him, they were threatened or incriminated as well and could have possibly been thrown in jail as well and also be burned. So when it comes to the devils, I feel like this is a pretty fantastic adaptation of these true events. Of course, it is a movie. So we're going to amp things up for, you know, moviegoers, but also we weren't there. We don't know how absurd things really got. But I think that I did a really good job of like capturing the essence of what was happening at that time, that religious mania, the scapegoating of Grandier. Like I know he was... And Oliver Reed, again, a beautiful, beautiful, good looking man with such power to his presence. I could see him easily becoming that scapegoat. And I I thought it was interesting because there's like French history in this, there's religious history in this, and that's not my forte, but I know it's yours, Jess. So I knew that you would have a lot of like extra insight into how, you know, how accurate some of this was uh, in the movie. Um, But yeah, again, I was really intrigued and surprised by the amount of politics in this. So what ends up happening is King, King Louis VIII, was less interested in Father Grandjerry, kind of just wanted to be a king, doing very elaborate things, very decadent things as the King of France. But yeah, Cardinal Richelieu, who wanted to recuperate his power, he envisioned this combination, this marriage of church and state, bad idea, side note, in my personal opinion, um, wanted to bring together this, had this new vision of a new France. And because of Ludom being kind of like this thorn in his side, and then Father Granger being this extra big thorn in his side, because everything, like you said, Jess, and I thought all of this really interesting, him saying, yes, we can live in peace with the Protestants. We can all just, we can all still believe in God and do our own thing and live peacefully. We've found peace. We're done with the wars. We're done with all the infighting. Let's do this. But you know what? Power corrupts power. And they wanted Ludon. We want to tear down these walls. We don't want the Protestants in there. And here's Father Granger, who is now, who, yes, declined it, and is now in charge of the nuns in that whole city. And people loved him because he's a very reasonable man. Yes, he has his flaws. Who doesn't? I thought the movie was a great representation of these events. What do you think with your, like, French history, your religious background, and what are your thoughts, Jess? Yeah, well, I, like I said, when I first started watching this film, like, from the get-go, I was like, oh, I am in. (laughs) Seeing this king dress, like, uh, cross-dressing as a Venus de Milo, it's French decadency, it is the Cardinal Richelieu sitting in his gorge, and I'm just like, oh, we are in. I know what this type of film is. This is going to be a satire, and I love this. I am on board. Mm-hmm. Because it really, like you said, it goes to show how power corrupts power and how, what I was like, every time you had the Richelieu or any of the church members or any members of state talking to each other, they know how much of a bullshit demonic possessions these are. They're like, at points when they're talking to um, the sister Jean, and they're just like, do you realize what you're saying and the, what will happen? And she's like, 
Yes. And I'm like, she does know. And then when she realizes to the extent that they will go to, you know, get rid of Father Grandier and to, you know, destroy the city, she tries to recant. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. No. We're going to go with this because now we've got Cardinal Richelieu backing us up. He's fun. He's giving us money. He is a religious minister to the King of France. And he is getting involved on behalf of the government because... He, Richelieu, always um, clashed with Granger over the issue of the Huguenots, and he did not want him involved whatsoever. And it's just, I love how you see, like, the church trying to play the King of France, but then the King of France is also playing them. Like, mm-hmm. that whole scene before the infamous rape of Christ scene is just, like, you know that they're blowing smoke off of each other's asses, and they both know it. Because the king's like, oh... I know how to I know how to cure the possession of these nuns. I will bring this holy relic from the Catholic Church who has this apparent like holy item that will help cure this demonic yeah. possession. And they're like, "Oh my gosh, do you Yes, the king of France, of course, like the power because they need France. The Catholic Church, like they don't have they yeah. don't have their own protection within the states. They need the government to protect them." So of course, and so when the King of France opens up and there's nothing in there after they do a successful exorcism, he's just like, I know this is all a joke. I know you just want to get rid of Lou and you just want to take over this state. I'm down for it. Let's do it. But I can't look like the bad guy. I'm the King mm-hmm. of France. Mm-hmm. I am the soul. Mm-hmm. Like, these people need to look up to me. So we need to create an enemy. What do they do? They create an enemy out of the Grandier. They make him the pinpoint to look that, see, like, you know, Protestants end up returning, like, returning to Catholicism at the time. People were protesting him. And, you know, and then once again, demonization of women. Of course, of course these women are going to be demonized and are going to be used as a tool by the Catholic Church to be able to get their will done at the end of the day because they're women. Easily manipulated, easily controlled, and easily disposed of, which is also the very upsetting thing in the films because this is what happens to all these nuns, even historically. They end up getting like, disposed of at the end of the day. No more funding. You're on your own. You know, it, it got to the point where they kept up with this idea of demonic possession, even historically for uh, St. Jean, that by the end of her life, she thought she was a mystic that she was end up being cured mm. by her possessions and becomes a mystic right. and travels around. So some of the politics of it, absolutely. Like, some people didn't believe these demonic possessions. Obviously, the cardinal didn't believe it. Our witch hunter in the movie didn't believe it. None of it, nobody actually believed it. But once Jean sent that in motion, there was no coming back from that. I mean, even just looking at what happens in the movie and what we all know about, quote, demonic possession... But there were doubts because, like, they weren't speaking in foreign languages, right? They're not telepathy, clairvoyance, supernatural strength. There was no levitation, no contorting. You know what I mean? It was all deeply just sexual and looking manic, really. What we see in the movie, anyways, is what we're what we're privy to and what's, um, but like it wasn't showing, it wasn't checking off these boxes of true demonic possession. But the the lay person, people, the townspeople, they're not going to know. The church would know what would be, quote, true demonic possession. But like you said, the, the wheels were in motion. These women are easily manipulated, brainwashed. That's a whole kind of thing about this movie. But and we see. And so in this movie, and there was some of it that was like, yes, like you said, really sad, very disturbing. The quote you know, possession wasn't the disturbing, it, disturbing stuff to me anyways. It was the manipulation, manipulation of these yeah. vulnerable women. So in the movie, quote, in order to be saved, these nuns needed to keep the charade going, they need to act out, 
become blasphemous, denounce their their master grandeur. And, you know, he was the sorcerer the whole time. And anybody that, and we see this in the movie, if they resisted doing the exorcism, they'll be guilty of treason. They'll be, claim, they'll be proclaimed as heretics. They're traitors to their church. Absolutely. And again, like we said, the women that were in the convent didn't want to be there in the first place. They wanted to rebel. Maybe this act of, quote, possession is now them being able to rebel. But again, they were being manipulated. Oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to be killed and then even further ostracized. Absolutely not. So for me, that was (laughs) the most disturbing aspect of it. It was this deeply corrupt power, the power dynamics, the politics, this critique of power of like, who has it? Who doesn't? And how can we take it away from people who doesn't have it and we want it? It was like very, that's what's disturbing to me. My lords, we have heard testimony from sober citizens saying how they were bewitched by you into attending a black mass. We have heard real devils speaking through the mouths of Ursuline nuns, swearing again and again that the accused is a sorcerer. And since when duly constrained by a holy exorcist, the devil is bound to tell the truth, it follows that- Lies! Lies and heresy. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. If the devil's evidence is to be accepted, the virtuous people are in the greatest of danger. For it is against these that Satan rages most violently. I had never set eyes on Sister Jean of the Angels until the day of my arrest. But the devil has spoken. And to doubt his word is sacrilege. You have totally perverted Christ's own teaching. This new doctrine. Lobotomo's new doctrine. Barry's new doctrine. Especially invented for this occasion is the work of men who are not concerned with fact, or with law, or with theology, but a political experiment to show how the will of one man can be pushed into destroying not only one man, or one city, but one nation. Well, yeah, and that's why this film is such a great critique on power, because literally what Ken Russell is doing this this film is saying that power corrupts. When you can take outrage and heresy, you can easily weaponize it for the powerful to be able to subject people to your will and to get them to listen, right? On top of Ladun, like in this film, we already know that this is also a town that is plagued by death. So these people are indifferent. People who are indifferent to things are more likely to believe that men isn't fallible and that they must be punished. They're more like, like, yeah, we've got death coming at our door and every second, and now we've got witches and demons. Of course we want you to get rid of them. We're yeah. tired of people dying here. Yeah, they're plagued, literally, by the plague. <laughs> literally, yeah. right? Yeah. Literally. There is a really great quote that Grandier says uh, when he's in court facing his charges of witchcraft. Um, he says, you have seduced the people in order to destroy them. Literally what they do, right? Divide and conquer. If you keep them, if you keep the people divided, it's easier to keep them conquered and you keep the small minority in power. This was the focus of 
you know, Ken Russell's film of the devils. It wasn't about, quote, non-exploitation. It's about the corruption of power. It was, yes, like you said, this critique on the church and how deeply flawed so much of it is and how they just love to manipulate and control. And you're right, this I even like more isolated convent than like other convents because it's a a fortified city Ludon was and the I just want to point out the uh, some other aspects of it that was pretty disturbing were the exorcisms themselves the checking for virginity to make sure they haven't had sex with Granger or the devil whoever they want to claim that they're having sex with the vaginal enemas to cleanse these nuns like this shit's depraved some of the public in the movie is like no this is fucked up maybe we should not be doing this in front of everyone for sure but we should not be doing this vaginal enemas to cleanse them from their demons and their impurities that's fucked up so of course like if you're constantly putting these women's bodies and their minds under this constant distress of course you know over time they're not going to be as stable and they're going to keep going into these demonic possessions. And this is why mm-hmm. they were able to do this historically for years and years later on. Like, like we see in the film, the devils, it ends like, you know, Grange is dead. Spoiler alert. He dies. <laughs> um, and the walls of Ludan start getting torn down, but the convent is still going. And as we know, historically, those exorcisms are still happening. They're still showing their yeah. power. They're still showing that, yeah. you know, like, well, if we don't keep this up, you know, you guys are going to, you're, you're, you're under threat by, by, um, entities that are bigger and scarier than you are. And what we, and or, or we've created these entities that are bigger and scarier. So speaking of disturbing cinema, controversial cinema, and censorship. And it's definitely something that I wanted us to talk about because The Devils has been banned all over the place for so long. And like we said, there is the true version, the true vision of this film still doesn't even exist because it's so, quote, blasphemous and disturbing and something that people should not be seeing. This film's censorship story is very similar to Granger's experience in the film, which is Mm. kind of almost like foretelling for Ken Russell, because (laughs) as he was writing this film, like this film was based off of the 1960 play, as well as uh, Adels Huxley's uh, book, The Devils of Ludan. So the literature exists, the play exists, the books exist, and Ken Russell just brought out his own artistic vision to the film this conscious political statement and what he experienced trying to get this film released is the very same experience that Grandier experienced in the film censorship mm-hmm. he had the both the British and American censors literally go through the content of this film and protest every version that came out editing it calling it blasphemous regardless of the quality yeah and this film is still treated as censored we like kelly said it's been 50 years we have still yet to see the true vision of this film a lot of criticism has come to ken russell about his films i'm a fan of ken russell's films they you know the criticisms have been they're obscene they're vulgar they're filthy they're trashy they're gaudy they're very sexual elements to them but they're also very deep probing and while people go after the sexuality that's in the film, the luridness, the sexual expression of the nuns, the content itself, the reasons why it was being censored was not necessarily because of that, but because of his political messaging. This Mm -hmm. film is an artistry in itself, and the censors recognize that this film is artistry, but other groups did not, and they did not want this film to come out. They called it blasphemy. Because, of course, you're going after organized religion that is quite powerful even till today. You know, we are still seeing the power of the Catholic Church within our state and our society. Um, 
and how it dictates our views towards films that would have such a biting satire or reveal to us some truth of what is of the fallacies that are in our systems. This movie has been labeled one of the most controversial movies ever made. And I'm flabbergasted because I've seen a lot of <laughs> really disturbing, fucked up movies. And you're right, Jess. Like, is it so disturbing because it's blasphemous? Because you don't see like an incredible amount of like gore, murder, death. Um, t- like, you know what I mean? It's like, your classic hitting on taboos. There's no incest. There's maybe a little rapey, but it doesn't hit on a lot of taboos. What is it hitting on? You're exactly what you said. This critique of Catholicism, Christianity, of the fucking church, organized religion. This movie has been called pornographic, satanic, my favorite, uh, blasphemous. So really it's being banned because it's quote blasphemous. So essentially you're offending some religious folks. But also, listen, this movie is celebrated for its artistry, its aesthetic, its performances, its score. It is a stunning piece of cinema, stunning piece of film, but condemned because it's religious blasphemy and raw sexuality, which, yes, it has both of those things. But do you hate it because it just makes you uncomfortable? Do you want to censor it because it makes you uncomfortable? We talked about this when we talked about Megan is Missing last month. Exploitation films are going to portray acts and themes that mainstream films aren't going to touch. They will not touch these themes and taboos. They don't have the the gall to do that. These scandalous, subversive themes and ideas are going to challenge and disrupt the viewer. These films are not just for the spectator, like the moviegoer. It's for the person who wants to engage with their cinema. And that is what is very, I think, arresting and very troubling to a lot of people, especially if it's touching on religion. Oh, no, you know, don't touch religion. You can't talk about that. You can't touch on that. You can't have something negative to say about it. But holy shit, are there many negative things that we should be saying about it? And that's what Ken Russell, I think, was very um, successful in doing in this movie. Yeah, he was able to take what is true exploitation. I think it's really great that you brought up Megan is Missing because we talked about exploitation and we defined it then. Yes. And we both agree that we did not find Megan is Missing exploitation film because of the intention behind yes. the film. Yeah. But what Ken Russell does in this film is he says the nuns yep. were exploited yep. by the church and the state. This mm. is exploitation. That is what happened. That That is true exploitation. Because they're goading the nuns on in that whole rape of Christ scene. Mm. You know, blending that sexual and violent imagery with a bunch of religious iconography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course you would see, like, the regular <laughs> Catholic church goer, you uh-huh. know, who has their regular Sunday school educational, like, losing their mind because, like, oh, my God, these holy images are being, you know rubbed up against a woman and stuff like that. We're dry humping the body of Christ. (laughs) They're literally on the cross. Yeah. But it it is, you know, so of course you see where that controversy was come up, but he's at the same time too, though, like, but that was geared on. They were were goading them, those priests, those nuns, like those priests were goading those nuns. They were doing this to prove their case. To prove, and at the same time too, they're given into as well. They're, and then they'll also say, well, I was still overtaken by the spirit of the devil and those nuns. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, you're right wrap it up buddy but like they're showing that juxtaposition of just how political power and power is gained through the exploitation of other minorities and other groups and this is why this film endured a lot of censorship and it was interesting reading about the censorship of this film because 
the British censorship board really like they almost like they kind of they fought for Ken Russell because yeah. there was they recognized the artistic elements to this film and they're just Absolutely. like you know but they had to go back and say like you either won't have this film produ- release at all so sorry you're gonna have to cut the scene out but when Ken Russell took it to his American sponsors to show them the film they were mad and of course they were gonna be mad these are white American conservative mm-hmm. Christian men who have just yeah. watched this film literally <laughs> show them like just how absurd your religion is they wanted they were like they cut it up so bad that apparently the American version is just unwatchable you lose that importance of that messaging and that imagery because it's just a jumbled mess yeah and so when people sometimes hear about the devils they're just like oh that film isn't just a bunch of nuns like fucking you know being all sexy and weird or like well no it's actually so much more like it's a very strong political message that is still timeless to this day mm-hmm. about what it's trying to say about this, I would like to say, this unholy union between church and state. And so we watched a really great Arrow documentary called Hell on Earth, and it was really great, really eye-opening, uh, a lot of Ken Russell interviews and, and, and engagement and stuff like that. But they brought up something really interesting to me, which was, so Ken Russell's The Devils came out in 1971. Guess what came out in 1973? That also made religious folks very upset. The Exorcist, that crucifixion masturbation scene. Hey man, yes they were upset about this movie, but really that scene got to stay in the movie and that didn't really get, that didn't get censored, that didn't get taken out. So what is it about like that? Okay, that scene, I just watched it recently, is is very upsetting. It's very perverse. It is a very blasphemous scene. But, you know, it doesn't get the reprimanding that the Devils does. And that's just like one scene in a movie. Um, So I find that also fascinating that they want to like pinpoint and pick and choose, kind of like their religion, pick pick and choose which aspects of movies and of movies themselves that they're going to want to be offended by and say it's blasphemous. So two major scenes that were cut out of the devils was the rape of Christ. But there's also a scene where Jean is masturbating with Granger's charred femur. It's hinted towards in the movie, but then that obviously it's not like a full masturbation scene. They take it out. It's hinted towards. Okay. So I like to think, I, I mean, I would love to see the full actual uncut version of this. But would the film hit differently or be all that different if we do take away these sequences? I think so. Jess, what do you think? I, I think that seems really important to that film. Like it, re- like I said, it, it really, because it comes after that scene where the king literally like, it's like, this is all a joke. Yeah. I know. I'm in on the joke. Yeah. You guys in on the joke? Okay, no, you're just going to keep up with this performance? Yeah. Have at her. Yeah. And I think that's why it's such an important scene to keep in this film, because it really just shows how absurd this can all get. How absurd exorcisms are. How yeah. absurd, you know, creating this idea that these women are all possessed by these demons to, you know, send a man to the stake to be, yeah. you know, claimed as a witch because he questioned the authority of yeah. the church. He questioned yeah. the fact that both Huguenots and Catholics could live together. Yeah. I had a lot of sympathy for Granger, and I wasn't expecting uh, that also because I didn't really, I didn't know that much about the devils in the sense of, again, how much politics is going to be in this movie, which normally I wouldn't be so into, but like it just fit really nicely into all of this. And it really was so important, but I had a lot of sympathy for him. I mean, he was a man who was flawed. Obviously, we all are. We cannot deny that we have flaws. 
Um, but he was not, not necessarily ashamed, but he did try to like get some kind of redemption, but he was, you know, he was kind of out there. He, he understood his flaws. He understood that he was quote impure. He owned up to that. And then he was, in, fell in love, <laughs> refound God. I don't know. And he, he got married and became better. <laughs> he tried, right? He was on his his he was on a path to redemption, but it was too late. Essentially, I was I was not expecting to have such sympathy, but really, it's this, his story. I feel like there is like this kind of parallel story between his and the nuns, but generally, it's his story. And I didn't I didn't expect that. It's a, it's just like a very male story, a very male dominated kind of world that they were living in, obviously. But I was down for what they were trying to educate me about because I wasn't aware. I It was like a really interesting film because you got to see a man of the people, right? Like mm, we often yeah. see men as the enemies or yes. as like, yeah. which we have evil definitely in the movie. Right. Definitely. We see that. But he is like the opposite. Yeah. He's like, I am trying to be a better human being I am trying to be better and he's like and I realize that living within this structure is making us not good people it's making us worse people and we need to break free of these structures so of course when we when the man of the people comes up and says look these structures is what's confining us and keeping us divided we need to break free of them right and then of course if you have a man of the people and you have other men who are like threatened by that. What do you want do? to control you have the people? To, yeah, you need to control the people. So let's start attacking him. And how do we attack him? We demonize him. We demonize his characters. Yes. We demonize his yeah. flaws. Oh, we can actually use women as a physical weapon against him. Yeah. Why not? Because we already think so poorly about women as it is. They're literally just a tool. Women are always just a tool. So let's just use them. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Nuns of the church. They can't question anything we do because we are the authority. Yeah. We are the authorities in God. So, of course, we can say to them, be like, yeah, we think you're possessed and be like, actually, no, you're mentally ill. You may need to change your lifestyle. Like, this is not right. So, yeah. What I really think is really interesting is that people hate on this film often because of the excessive sex and violent and nudity. They're often missing the point. And there was a quote from a gentleman by the name of Murphy from the British Board of Film Censors that really hit with me when he talks about the devils. Because it really does, and I'm just going to say it here, that the devils raises an important questions about evil that has been sometimes done in the name of the church. This is true. Historically, there has been a lot of evil done in the name of the church, and often we don't talk about it or we shove it under the rugs. So it goes to say that there have always been Christians who have sought to oppose that evil and who have paid the supreme sacrifice. It is a fiercely uncompromising film. It is also a film that has deeply serious intent. Not all critics think it's a good film, but no independent critic, to our knowledge, has ever suggested that it's an unimportant film. And that really hit me because it is an important film. It says so much of not only of what was true then, but what is true is still true now. And it's all wrapped up in a very beautiful bow, which I can appreciate and respect. And now we've arrived at Spencer's final thoughts, this time over a nice warm cup of tea provided by our sponsor, Brutalities. Since we're spinsters, we obviously love tea. One of our favorite things is to curl up with a movie on a cold, rainy day. Or with a good book. Absolutely. With a mug of delicious hot tea. Brutalities is a company that we discovered at a horror convention and fell in love with. They have a variety of tea blends from black, white, and more. But what stood out to us was not just how yummy they were, but their spooky and metal-inspired names. With Screamsicle and Children of the Candy Corn, we thought Brutalities were a perfect match made in... 
I am obsessed with tiramisu. And I'm currently obsessed with Banana Bell. So go to Brutalities.com to grab some for yourself with listener code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your purchase. For our Canadian fans, please contact them directly before ordering for shipping quotes. So now that we have our tea, let's put these spirits to rest. Power corrupts. Cis white men in power leads to corruption. All of this is sustained a supposed moral code that has been put into a system that was given to them by a male god. And who, anyone who is not a part of this, the patriarchy, is against it. And to that in which I am glad. Because guess what? Hex the patriarchy. For they are the small group of they as scared little men who rely on the make-believe to make the majority always divided. It was more than likely mental illness that had developed over many years of sexual oppression and isolation that caused these women to be allowed to be controlled by forces outside of them that not only demonized them, but also physically harmed them to be able to control other people. It was a way to keep the status quo that not benefits the majority, it only benefits a minority. Father Granger and Sister Jean were victims of a truly unholy marriage of the church and state that benefits only one small group of people, cis, hetero, white men. This is a political film and one that I encourage people to seek out and, and fight against its censorship. It is a timeless film because it addresses what is wrong in our world, and that is the patriarchy. Father Urbain, Sister Jean, and the city of Loudon experienced a harm at the hands of the patriarchy for the gains of the church and the state. We see this historically. We saw this in the film. It is full control with no dissenters. It is timeless because we are still experiencing this today. I'm tired lately looking in the news recently and just seeing how much the patriarchy is harming people. From the Elon takeover of Twitter, Ford's attack on teachers here in Ontario, women protesting in Iran to be able to not have to wear a hijab, the Ukrainian-Russian war, the attack of trans rights, individual rights of women and the LGBT community. It's all because we have a bunch of cis white conservative men who believe in a religious moral authority that they are protecting their invisible God from any sort of, you know, sexual liberation, sexual freedom, freedom from power that is constantly kept us in the minority. And even though we are the majority, we are the majority, we make up the most of the world, all of us minorities, but at the end of the day, we are still a minority in against these small group of cis white hetero men who constantly continue to keep power, power over us because of this union between church and state. And this is what the devils represents to us. This is why it's a film that I feel like it needs to no longer be censored because it's really putting out a really important messaging about being vigilant and being aware and being conscious of corruption wherever it may be. And don't allow yourself to be, be taken in by performatives and spectacle. Uh, Nunsploitation is a very understated genre, I'm going to have to say, after this month of watching so many movies and exploring it. It's sometimes lurid and sleazy. Absolutely, yes. But you can also have incredibly artistic, beautiful, interesting films, which makes for a very diverse movie-watching experience. I highly recommend folks going down this rabbit hole as you will not be disappointed. If you can find the movies, that is. Uh, the devils, the devils, the devils. Censorship issues. Cutting down art to appease who? Who really is benefiting from this censorship? We're policing art and policing expression. Sometimes you need to get extreme for the sake of story and what you're trying to portray, what social commentary is attempting to express, political, religious, and sexual corruption. Our world is extreme and therefore our art will be extreme. A quote from the Arrow documentary, Hell on Earth. Good cinema should thrill and enrage. I firmly stand by this. 
And that ends our episode on the devils and our month traversing the world of nunsploitation. We would like to thank Dance of the Dead for our intro and outro music, Robeast. And for all of you listeners, thank you so much. We would like to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com. We're on pretty much all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to search for Spinsters of Horror. Please join us and come hang out with us in our Facebook group, the Spinsters of Horror Coven. We also have a letterboxed account called Horror Spinsters, and you can also find us on YouTube where we have a bunch of special videos loaded up from various special presentations. Just look up Spinsters of Horror. As well, please rate and review us on iTunes, as well as subscribe and press that like button. We also have merch, so please visit TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts and donate. Next month, we are back with an episode of Original vs. a Remake, and the film's up for discussion is the French film Les Diaboliques from 1955 and the American remake Diabolique from 1996. Until then, remember, the future of fear is female. <laughs>